So uh, we've been having lots of nice time and space uh, in the first month of our winter retreat uh, to um, lots of nice time and space for practicing together, practicing in solitude in the afternoons and evenings. And the um, weather has been encouraging us to move in, uh, move inwards, cold, dark, rainy, just what California appreciates at this time of year. And uh, it's, it's really, I find it very settling and soothing and calming also, um, just often spending time in my kuti, uh, listening to the rain pattering on the, on the roof outside, and just having that extra uh, time and space and encouragement to be quiet and contemplate Dhamma themes, do some reading, very nourishing. Sometime in the past week, I can't remember whether it was a reading or a, a Dhamma reflection in the evening, but Ajahn Yanako just briefly um, passed on a thought of uh, a theme, a theme that he appreciates uh, contemplating a lot, a fair amount. It was just a, a, a passing comment in context of something else, but that he uh, enjoys contemplating the five indriyas, uh, the spiritual faculties. So that finds that a useful framework for uh, contemplating Dhamma. And uh, it reminded me of the, uh, I feel the same. Uh, it's, a, it's a very useful set of teachings to, to reflect on uh, and to develop uh, in our experience. And um, so I, I, I started to ponder it a bit in my quiet moments uh, and just had a, a few additional thoughts to share maybe about it them tonight. Indriyas, uh, the word Indriya coming from, I think it's based on the, the word uh, Indra, uh, the god uh, in the Hindu pantheon, uh, and uh, generally meaning something like leader. Uh, so the Indriyas are leaders in, in their way. There's a whole s different sets of Indriyas in the, in the, in the canon, the sense faculty, Indriya often translated as faculties, so like uh, uh, abilities or potentials, uh, frameworks uh, that we uh, have. And, and one of them is the, the, the uh, sense faculties, uh, the six sense faculties uh, that are referred to as Indriyas, and then also more along the lines of what he was referring to in, in his talk, uh, the five spiritual faculties. So these are guides and leaders for us. The sixth sense faculties sometimes guiding us and leading us into areas where we really shouldn't go. Um, but if we use the spiritual faculties, the spiritual indriyas, uh, as uh, our primary leader, then they can help guide the, the sense faculties into uh, skillful, uh, skillful places too. And I was as I was kind of going through them and thinking about them, and particularly I, I'm trying a whole lot more these days to just really tune into the experience level of, of practice. So um, reflecting on these themes, but also well, what does this actually mean? 
in terms of meditative experience or just trying to live a skillful life based on dhamma you know bringing it bringing it to the level of actualization not just theory and you know what does it mean to experience the five faculties or to train ourselves with the five faculties uh, what does it feel like inside really moving to that level of feeling tone feeling quality and that's that i think it was an earlier reflection last reflection i gave it's kind of moving in those lines uh, in terms of exploring my experience in meditation and just in general uh, around the qualities of lightness and heaviness and what are the things that I'm bringing into my awareness and experience that just result in the tendency to get enmeshed in heavy mind states or negative mind states or distracted mind states uh, versus ones that lead to, to lightness and ease, uh, well-being, and really using those tones uh, as benchmarks to see if I'm applying my attention and my practice in the right way. Is my life getting heavier or is my life getting lighter? And really steering it uh, in the light direction because it's so much easier. And um, in retrospect, as I was kind of thinking through these five spiritual faculties, I realized uh, in retrospect, it wasn't uh, anything I was particularly aware of when I was reflecting on uh, those topics in the, in the last uh, talk I gave, but um, realizing that some of the qualities that I brought up in terms of looking at experience in, term, in terms of lightness and heaviness actually ended up being reflections around the first three of those spiritual faculties, looking at faith or uh, uh, sadha uh, versus that's the light version versus the heavy version of, of uh, belief, uh, opinions, views, but belief in general, and the difference between the two and the quality of lightness that comes with a true, a true faith based in confidence in, in, in the teaching and in the practice, and the uplift that, that brings, uh, the lightness that brings versus uh, holding on to uh, fixed views, belief, so that was, in a sense, a contemplation of or uh, exploration of the, of the first India. And then the second one, energy, um, and looking at how we can apply our minds in ways uh, through appropriate attention or inappropriate attention that either result in uh, an increase in energy, increase in virya, uh, or a stagnation or a diminution of energy, uh, a spending of energy through unwise attention. And then the quality of sati mindfulness uh, as a way of holding things uh, lightly uh, versus clinging, uh, grasping as a way of holding things heavily. Uh, so those were, the, those were themes that were kind of running around in my mind at the time and Little did I know that they were really those first three spiritual faculties. So as I was bringing this up over the past couple of weeks in terms of consideration, looking into my own experience a bit, I, I kind of wondered, well, can the same, can, can the same framework be uh, 
used in looking at the experience uh, of uh, the other two uh, faculties, samadhi uh, and panya, uh, the fourth and fifth of the five indriyas. So I just came up with a few explorations around that over the past couple of weeks. Kind of thinking about panya, wisdom, or um, discernment, the fifth one. Uh, it's got so many different levels, so many different layers, and different ways that we can hold them, that uh, if, if maybe viewed incorrectly or picked up incorrectly can result in some uh, more entanglement and, and heaviness in our lives versus a, uh, a lightening of our of our load uh, if we view um, discernment in in, in uh, more skillful dharmic ways. Lots of layers, as I was contemplating these. Um, one of the layers being just some of the classic teachings in the in the suttas about. Uh, grasping of wrong views that uh, uh, through unwise attention um, uh, and speculation, uh, sometimes we think of, uh, or some people maybe uh, sometimes think of the development of wisdom as uh, trying to understand uh, in you know the nature of self or the nature of the universe, the nature of the cosmos, kind of metaphysical or philosophical uh, Ideas, and that if we can just get those straight, then then that's developing wisdom, and that certainly was the case at the time of the Buddha. Uh, many different religious sects, different practitioners, uh, picking up these different kinds of speculative views and expounding on them and developing their practice ar around them. You know, views like you know, around self, and uh, you know, what was I in the past? How was I in the past? What will I be in the future? How will I be in the future? Yeah. Am I now? <laughs> what am I now? How am I now? Those kinds of questions about selfhood um, and more along the lines also of the nature of the cosmos, you know, the existence of uh, the world around us and certain laws and speculative views. What the Buddha ended up suggesting wasn't such a skillful way to try and frame spiritual practice uh, or trying to frame those questions because it ends up just getting gnarled up in a what he called uh, very graphically the, the wilderness of views or the, the thicket of views, you know, the entanglement that uh, we can get into conceptually, intellectually trying to figure, figure these things out. And that that's not really a development of wisdom. That's not a. It's not the development of panya in the way that the Buddha talks about. Uh, but more, as he says, you know, I teach only two things: suffering and the end of suffering. So, the, the framework of of the four noble truths uh, as being the the complete development of of wisdom, and that just looking at the qualities when one gets you know entangled. Uh, in these other kinds of speculations and, and the heaviness that comes from that, because uh, there's really no answer. Uh, and the, uh, the simplicity and lightness of basically ad addressing the fundamental human issue of, of dukkha and our wish to be free from that, kind of telescoping uh, our reflective capacities uh, to 
to concentrate on that particular uh, issue, dukkha, the ending of dukkha. And when we do that, the, the simplicity and lightness, actually, even though it kind of sounds like it might be contemplating a heavy issue, it uh, kind of brings it all into perspective uh, in, a, in a way that, when properly done, lightens the heart. Another uh, kind of reflection that has, has been coming up a little bit to, uh, uh, in, the, in that area, uh, reflections on, uh, on the law of kama, which is a, one of the teachings in right view. In a discussion uh, the other day, uh, a sutta that I really appreciate came to my mind. Uh, it was one that was brought to my attention many years ago. It was uh, my first time away from the monastery when I went to stay at Chithurst Monastery, my third vasa, and um, I was experiencing uh, at that time just some really deep, uh, deep dukkha of uh, past memories uh, coming up from my lay life of, uh, you know, unskillful, uh, unskillful actions, body, speech, mind, um, that uh, were weighing heavily uh, on my mind, regrets, um, and and just wondering, you know, oh gosh, you know, the comic consequences uh, of these things. Um, you know, will I be free from them? Knowing fully that uh, the experience of just having to remember them was, you know, a majority of that comic consequence, but also thinking, you know, mm, gosh, you know, this... Uh, this doesn't bode well for my uh, <laughs> for my future. Um, thinking about these things, so I was talking with another monk about it because uh, for some reason they were just flooding, uh, flooding, flooding me uh, during those first few months uh, there. And uh, he brought uh, to my attention a sutta uh, called the the Conch Trumpet Blower, which is in the Sanyutta Nikaya, and uh, it's a sutta where there's a um, a wanderer from another sect. I, I believe it was the Jains, um, and uh, he was talking with the Buddha, and uh, they were talking about the uh, teachings of his teacher um, in the Jain sect. And if I've got this, if my memory serves me right, it was you know uh, it was the Jain sect, so the leader would have been the Niganta Nataputta. And they were talking about various aspects of his teachings, but one of them, um, the one that caught my attention mostly and, and that I was referred to, was some teachings on Kama, where uh, um, the Buddha was quizzing uh, this uh, follower and, and um, asking him the views on, on Kama. And basically, uh, the teaching uh, from, from uh, his teacher was uh, that a very deterministic view of of kama that uh, you know if and it was within the context of the precepts if so that uh, the uh, the follower was saying that for instance with the um, taking the life of living beings you know he was reflecting yes I I have taken the life of of living beings. Um, and the teaching is is that surely the uh, inevitable consequence of that is that um, I will suffer in the lower realms in my next rebirth. I will go to hell. 
the hell realms. Uh, that's the teaching. Uh, people who take life uh, get reborn in the hell realms. And then people who, who steal, similarly kind of a thing, surely the conse consequence of that is very deterministic. Uh, rebirth in lower realms, people who engage in sexual misconduct, people who uh, tell lies. Um, these all have uh, strong consequences leading to uh, rebirth in the, in the lower realms. Surely I've done all of these things um, and uh, my fate is sealed uh, and this is, you know, what I can, can expect. So that was the teaching that this uh, follower uh, told the Buddha. And the Buddha said, well, you know, um, surely if, if, if you have committed these things, if you have that thought, you know, I've committed uh, the act of killing living beings, etc., and, uh, and I uh, lament and beat my breast and say, um, I surely will be... Uh, driven to the hell realms because of this, then uh, sure shooting, that's going to happen. If, that's, if, you, if you did violate those precepts and you hold the conviction, the belief uh, that unalterably uh, that's going to be the consequence, then you've set the stage for you, yourself to realize that, that reality. And um, basically then he, he goes, the Buddha goes on to say, um, but, you know, that's not what I teach. Uh, what I teach is, is that, you know, the appropriate response would be to uh, reflect and say, um, yeah, um, I have taken life. I have uh, stolen things. I have uh, committed sexual misconduct. I have uh, uh, told lies. Um, uh, and um, I can't undo those acts. Uh, I, I did do them, and I regret them. Uh, and what I will do from now on is I will take, make a resolution, make a resolve not to do those anymore. Um, I won't steal. I won't take life. I won't uh, engage in sexual misconduct. I won't tell lies. Uh, and then you make that resolution. One makes that resolution. And that in itself uh, is purifying one's heart, purifying one's conduct, pur purifying one's sila uh, by making that determination, by recognizing and admitting it, uh, owning up to it, uh, and then um, uh, resolving to not do it anymore. And that in itself is uh, purifying, a purification of the heart, a purification of the mind, and leads to, you know, a much... Uh, easier experience in life, uh, whatever comes one's way. And, you know, one can look at this in, in, in you know, not only the cosmological sense of, of rebirth in lower realms, but the, the, the rebirth that uh, we put ourselves uh, through in, in terms of psycholo psychological rebirth. Uh, uh, if we constantly uh, rehash uh, our past actions, uh, and not only our own past actions, but the actions of others and how they affect us. You know, things that uh, other people do that are harmful to us and how we hold on to those and rehash and, and uh, you know, grasp onto those uh, memories and these perceptions of, of past wrongs, whether they're our own or whether they're someone else's. 
than how that drives us into a literal psychological hell realm uh, right here and now. We don't have to wait for, for a future life. Um, but that that kind of acknowledgement uh, and essentially the gradual recognition that holding on and grasping on uh, is what drives us into uh, a heavy state of mind. Again, it's that heaviness of how we hold, how we hold these things um, and how they result in our experience. And that um, through that resolution to let go uh, of those uh, past memories, and if it's our own conduct, the um, uh, encouragement to resolve to abstain from that. And if it's others' conduct to, you know, recognize the pain and the, the difficulty that they are engaged in or that they were engaged in and, and how, just like, just like me, uh, they, they caused harm as well. Uh, and how the only answer is to really recognize and let go and resolve not to, uh, to repeat. And that way we can purify our hearts, purify our minds, and uh, not dwell in heaviness. And then he goes further in the, in the sutta to say, you know, that the full development of that uh, more um, open, spacious mind and, and uh, escape, in a sense, from the, the full effects, the full karmic effects of these previous actions is by developing the uh, four divine abidings, the Brahma-viharas, the uh, loving-kindness, compassion, altruistic joy, and, and uh, equanimity. And that um, by developing these expansive, all-encompassing uh, spheres of consciousness, states of mind, then any action that does come to fruition uh, is experienced as just a mere trifling of what it would be if our minds are constricted and, and uh, enmeshed uh, with concerns uh, around these uh, past actions. It's like the, the simile that the, he offers also uh, of, of uh, putting a teaspoon of salt in a glass of water uh, and one can, and can taste that uh, very salty taste quite strongly versus a teaspoon of salt uh, in the river Ganges and tasting the water and not being able to essentially taste the salt at all. So that our expansive mind states that are um, all-encompassing, uh, filled with these very uh, uplifting qualities, uh, uh, is the environment that we hold the results of past karma in. And so that in a sense, you know, we may still experience results uh, of past karma, but, but uh, it's, it's a completely different uh, way of experiencing them. So this is very different from the very deterministic view of karma. You know, how if one picks it up very in that way, that it's a very heavy experience. Uh, and uh, if one picks it up in the way that the Buddha taught, it's a, it's a very light, uplifting, uh, positive, uh, encouraging uh, kind of way of, of holding that teaching. So needless to say, I found that incredibly uh, useful at that time and still find a very useful reflection. A lot of gratitude for the monk who uh, brought that to my attention.
So those couple of thoughts on on uh, how we can hold the contemplation of the spiritual faculty of wisdom uh, in different ways and and, re- and receive different results. Uh, going backwards a little bit to the to samadhi, uh, the fourth spiritual faculty, and how it can be held in a way that reduce uh, produces a fair amount of tightness (laughs) or produces a fair amount of ease too. Uh, I find it uh, useful to to think about it in those ways. That, uh, you know, I think a common way sometimes we get entangled with the whole development of samadhi can, you know, can produce a sense of tightness. I've, uh, you know, heard many times Monks say, "Oh, well, I just have you know a real hard, hard time." Or not just monks, everybody, uh, many people, you know, developing samadhi. You know, I, uh, um, you know, it's not something I'm very adept at. I'm not very good at it. I'll concentrate on other areas of my practice. And uh, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, they're referring to uh, the teachings that many of us have received of. Uh, developing concentration as one translation of, of samadhi in a very uh, methodical way with a, 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 a fixated uh, attention uh, on, on a particular small uh, anatomical point in the body uh, that's very exclusive uh, and that often ends up being uh, devoid of, of sampajanya, of clear awareness, but that an alternative way of considering it, and even using the word uh, jhanas more uh, in, a, in a different way, uh, that uh, encourages a, a much more open, broad experience of, of composure of mind, samadhi, uh, that is inclusive uh, and not limited uh, in scope, uh, and as the Thai Kruba Ajans often talk about, um, uh, an all-around with an all-around awareness, uh, and not a, a limited, uh, intensely uh, focused, exclusive kind of awareness, and that, at least in my experience, and I think in the experience of some others that I've talked to anyway, that that intensive uh, uh, focus uh, of awareness. Uh, without any kind of all-around awareness um, uh, can be very, uh, you know, tight uh, and constricting and uh, heavy, kind of, and and trying to almost, you know, trying to get it, trying to get something uh, through that kind of uh, focused attention without any uh, sampajanya, without any clear awareness in 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 a broader sense. Uh, and that it can be very peaceful, it can be very blissful, uh, but uh, it ends up being a fairly disembodied um, kind of experience. And, and if you read the translations that we often chant of the, of, or not, yeah, we, we do chant them, but the translations of the descriptions of the jhana, the jhanas, you know, they're all very much bodily, uh, bodily oriented, the different uh, descriptions of you know, the bathman's uh, soap and the uh, uh, the lotuses uh, in the water, the the currents of water uh, running through the body, and essentially, and and the uh, 
white sheath over the body. All of these are very bodily oriented descriptions of, of the different levels of, of, of jhana. And even in the third jhana, the description, you know, accompanied by uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension uh, uh, is, is described as, as an aspect of, of third jhana even. So, um, you know, taking that into account and, and, and loosening up a bit maybe our, uh, what we expect in terms of uh, samadhi uh, and, and what its true development uh, results in, in the ease and the well-being and the lightness rather than uh, a heavy, uh, super-focused uh, intensity that we sometimes get the idea that that's what it is. I'm trying to remember a... Uh, a description or a, a quote from Ajahn Jeff uh, that kind of points to this something something along the lines of uh, over over time in his experience uh, he's kind of found that uh, people who are adept at uh, a very intense uh, establishing a very intense focused point uh, of concentration uh, that's devoid of of uh, uh, clear awareness, mindfulness and clear awareness, um, uh, you know, there are people who are adept at, at doing that. In, the, in his experience, uh, they are also psychologically adept at uh, denial and dissociation, <laughs> disassociation. So to be, to be careful uh, with how we interpret um, our, our uh, practices how we determine how we interpret the the teachings uh, around these uh, development of samadhi. For me, I you know really appreciate that encouragement to go broad and light uh, and open, and it doesn't mean scattered uh, and uh, all over the place uh, without any focus. It just uh, points to a, a broader, more comprehensive, all around awareness that also has the qualities of firm establishment, you know, so that instead of like one-pointed concentration, um, maybe the, the descriptors of uh, unwavering composure have a much lighter feel, but one that is very clear uh, and grounded. And, uh, and it brings to mind, you know, just sort of that image of having a... Um, say, the object of meditation, uh, for instance, as an example that we use, many of us use, is the, the breathing, the in and out breathing, as our baseline uh, uh, level. Uh, and that the, you know, the different defilements, uh, kilesa, will arise and pass away. Um, but the sampajanya basically just knows the arising, the persistence in the passing of these uh, thoughts, feelings, uh, perceptions, and, th and that that's consistent throughout many different levels of, of, of samadhi, uh, that sampajanya. Uh, so that even though one has the firm baseline of, of say, the in and out breathing, the rhythmic quality uh, to bring us uh, this sense of uh, un unwavering uh, composure, uh, then when uh, kilesa do arise, uh, there is the knowing of them and the knowing of their of their passing. So there's these two levels operating at the same time. 
um, and uh, I mean, kind of the image to me comes of, of of a musical composition where you have a really strong bass line, you know, that's that's repetitive and rhythmic and and very grounding with a melody that's sometimes uh, playing around in different ways, uh, in different directions and coming back and forth, but that there's always the solidity of that, of that, that line, uh, that underneath current in the musical composition. So the breathing, the rhythm uh, is, is consistent, it's there, it's uh, unwavering, our attention is with it, uh, as well as allowing the other things as they manifest to, to arise and pass away on their own, kind of, uh, Halogen Cha describes the, the, the still flowing water. And the, the, that way of holding it in my, in my mind and experiencing it and practicing with it produces a, a sense of ease and well-being and lightness rather than a kind of a heavy, got to get me some concentration, bearing down quality. And then kind of uh, back a moment, just kind of swooping back to the reflection on, on panya discernment, just, you know, another way that sometimes um, we uh, think of, uh, you know, in terms of analysis, say, or of conjecture about the, the three characteristics in each dukkha and anatta, and how it can be held, the contemplations around those can be held as kind of a doctrinal uh, contemplation. Uh, Again, you know, a description of description of uh, experience, a description of reality, as opposed to a contemplative strategy, uh, which I've always appreciated the encouragement to to use those contemplations as as a contemplative strategy rather than as holding to a particular doctrine of you know, like everything is unsatisfactory, everything is um, uh, changing, everything is not self. It's sort of like, well, let's bring that to the experience right here and now. And uh, rather than just forming opinions uh, about it or intellectual uh, concepts uh, uh, and leaving it at that, we bring it to the present moment experience of, of watching the arising and passing, the lightness of this very moment of uh, when, we, when we've settled, when the mind has settled and is quite steady. Uh, to turn to that lens of Dhamma and seeing just right here in the moment the arising and passing of sight, sounds, tastes, all the uh, sense experience that we have, the thoughts, and seeing the insubstantiality of them, you know, separating the, the knowing quality uh, from the object as a way of lightening our experience we become disentangled uh, and unmeshed from from the uh, phenomena that arise in our awareness. So in some ways, I think that's you know, leading to the ultimate development of that spiritual faculty of panya, resulting in a very buoyant uh, state of mind, one that's ripe for release. That's uh, when... Uh, the Buddha describes the, the spiritual faculty of, of uh, samadhi. He uses that word. He says, you know, one develops the, the faculty of, of uh, 
composure, the faculty of samadhi, with release as its object, not with fixation, <laughs> not with grabbing, holding, but with release, release as its object, so that the release that comes from deep understanding through panya also uh, is the purpose of the samadhi. So when I find myself sitting down, practicing periods of meditation, reflecting on these kinds of things, like the, the five spiritual faculties, I, I'm finding it just so much more useful to keep redirecting myself to, okay, what's the internal experience like? Is it resulting in heaviness, constriction? Uh, is it resulting in, in lightness, uh, ease of mind, release? So the lightness, the lightness of true faith versus the heaviness of, of uh, belief, dogma, the, the lightness of um, good energy, you know, energy directed in a positive, uh, easeful way rather than putting our minds on things that, that drag our energy down, uh, holding with mindfulness rather than holding with, with uh, clinging or grasping, the lightness of a composed mind, an unwavering composure, the lightness of an unwavering composure uh, versus the heaviness of a one-pointed concentration and the lightness of true uh, understanding uh, in, in the moment, awareness of arising and passing, and then sometimes just allowing oneself to dwell with the non-arising uh, and not imputing a, a sense of ownership, grasping around a, a sense of self, anatta, non-abiding. So non-arising and non-abiding as ways of thinking of the spiritual faculty of panya. So these are just some of the things that have been rolling around uh, in my practice uh, in the past number of weeks and uh, I'll just offer it for people to reflect on. I'll leave it there for this evening. <laughs>